morning. Today's reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Susan. Good morning. My name is Dave. Um, it's, uh, it's great to see you all here this morning. Um, I'm, the, uh, I'm a pastor here, and I get to do the bulk of the preaching. So um, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I just want to let you all know and give you um, a, a heads up that I have a stutter. And it'll kind of come in and out as, uh, as I go. And just want to make sure that they, um, you all know that and, and aren't caught off, off guard um, too much. So uh, a, a few things before we get into our, our time together in Philippians. Um, actually, I'll just go ahead and have us turn there now in case I forget that. Um, so go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians um, chapter 2. We're in verses 1 through 11 together as we spend the summer in... Um, Paul's letter to the Philippian church. If you don't have a copy of God's word with you, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you one. And yeah, hold it up um, high. Don't, don't be shy. And, uh, and we'll get you one. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene ningún Biblia, uh, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en um, Filipenses, capítulo dos. Um, did you get one? We get a, We need another Bible up front. We got a shortage here, people. Um, no, we got plenty. So um, a few things. One is um, I won't be here for a few weeks, and I don't say that. You That doesn't really impact you that much. We have some great people who are going to communicate God's word and excited um, for that. But I say that because on one hand, I just want to take this opportunity to share just I love you. I love this church. Um, it truly is. Um, it's my home church. It's, it's not just my job or the place I come to do something or to, you know, um, kind of, I don't know, get a pick paycheck or whatever, but it's, um, it's where God really meets me and really shapes my heart and grows me and ministers to me. And even on this day, Father's Day, which I'll share some more about, um, you know, it's a day that for some of us, many of us, it's as has been the case often of, of grieving and celebrating and just kind of walking through those difficult tensions. Um, thank you, Matt, for how you just now led us before the throne of Jesus in worship and praise and, and, and also, um, you know, honesty and just sharing the, the difficulty of, of depression and anxiety and how that informs our, our, our singing and our worship. And that's true on, on, this, on a day like this as well. Um, 
In fact, this morning I got to share this with others. When I, I showed up and, and um, I, I saw people already at work serving, volunteering, sweating, um, right? Amen. We know Tucson. If, you, if you're new to town this year and you thought it was a lie, now you know it wasn't, right? It's hot gets hot. But, um, right, people are here serving, and something that we often talk about is that's not just doing and putting on, kind of checking off a box, but part of our discipleship, part of being formed and growing as a follower of Jesus is, is serving, and that we were created to work even before sin entered into the picture. We were created to work, and, um, and then part of that now is getting to kind of live out the redeemed picture of that alongside other uh, others, encouraging one another, praying for one, one another, just simply building memories together. And so it's, just, it's, it's a joy to get to see that on display. And also, um, we'll, at the end of our service today, we're going to share some more and, and get to pray for those of us going to Guatemala. But um, we'll be gone for two um, Sundays. We leave next Saturday, June 22nd. And um, yeah, man, there's a holler for that. So um, yeah, we're, we're excited. It's an it's a, it's a, it's a incredible time to see, to get to partner with what God's doing in Guatemala. And so anyway, we'll get to share some more about that. But um, I do want to let you know right now that we have these sheets where you can be praying. And um, Kim Arnold from our, our church here, who's not even going um, with us this year, but she really cares about and over the last few years has been really putting a lot into praying for and alongside and with. And it's, um, it's meaningful and powerful. And I can just share with you, um, those of us who have been before, those of us who are going this more um, this year, we need this. Amen. Um, it's a grind. And there are different times, even on the flight back or the day after the trip, there's a lot, um, a lot going on. And so I want to encourage you to, to please pick up one of these sheets and even commit to praying every day for uh, those who will be there for, um, throughout that, that week. Um, again, next week. So we leave next Saturday. And so invite you to be um, praying for that. And um, now let, let me just go ahead and, uh, and, and pray and uh, we'll get into our time here together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning that we can be together. Um, thank you that we can g- gather together as your people. And, um, and Lord, we pray and trust that through your Holy Spirit, you will oversee our time here together. You will form us and shape us individually and as a community, as the ecclesia, the church, the people of God. So we uh, pray these things expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's just pick right up. Chapter 2, verse 1. Um, and by the way, just a little little heads up. I, I, it's, something is in the back of my mind of like, you were supposed to say something else. And I don't have any note of it somewhere. So if I just stop and remind you whatever that is, as I remember, then just a heads up. Okay, that might, that might come. Because I'm like, there's something else, something else. So I don't, I don't want to pretend and play it off. <laughs> All right, it might, it might come. But either way, um, and I'm, I'll say something about... Father's Day in a minute here after I I read. But let's read this first verse together. Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And in these first few verses here, in, in, in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul's really getting really practical about this is what the Christian life looks like. 
All right, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, my hope is that even these next few verses, you'll see what it looks like to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian, all right? There's, man, in politics, on the news, in music, and I mean, you could get a million different answers of, oh, this is what it means to be a Christian. In fact, I used to do a little survey with people when I worked for a Christian ministry, and that was often one of the, the first things I would ask people is just, what's your association? What's your word association? And, and, and one would be, what's your word association when you hear Christian? And no lie, one of the most common responses was mean. Okay, so, so right now what Paul's doing is he's setting the course of this is what it looks like to be a Christian. That word means a follower of Jesus. But let me say, um, his tone is similar to what Chris DeGraff, um, what his tone was up here when he gave this um, All of Life interview, right, for, for, for Father's Day. Um, some of us read, read through the scriptures, we read through the New Testament especially things from Paul, and we insert the same tone every time. It's like he's, he's shaming, he's exhorting, he's like in Galatians. That's the right tone, by the way. If you read in Galatians, that's right. He's like, what has bewitched you, O foolish Galatians? What has come upon you? Like, have you lost your minds? He, he's mad, and he's putting them in check. Well, that's not what's going on in Philippians. Again, it's more like Chris's tone of encouragement, of spurring on, right? We talked about even last week like a coach saying, hey, I know you're in the grind right now. I know you're in two days. Okay, I know this is hard. I know I'm, I'm, I'm saying things that are hard, um, but, but keep at it. Okay, keep, keep going for it. And, and let me just say um, about Father's Day, even if you look around right now, it's no surprise um, there are more empty seats here than there were last week and probably than there will be next week. Um, historically, over the last number of years, Father's Day is one of the lowest attended days of the year for churches. Not just here, not in Tucson, not just because it's hot or because we meet right near a U, U, U of A. And we could, no, because it's, it's a picture of the reality of fatherhood in a lot of our, our culture today. Um, oddly, or maybe not so oddly, Mother's Day is one of the more attended days of the year. And even that, right, you think of, um, and this may have been true for some of us growing up, where mom, and this isn't always true, okay, it's not broad strokes, but it generally you see a theme of, I want my family to come together, to spend time together, to, to, to go to church together and to, and to hear about what it means to be a community of people, to be encouraged, to be exhorted, and, 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 and then you know, go out to eat together, right? Spend time together. And what often is dad's time, dad, get some cigars, go out and play golf, just get away, get alone, right? Do your own thing. And, and, and that's, I think, shows up. And, and I say that right now, in part, um, to shame those who aren't here. No, that's not, um, <laughs> that's not true. It, I, I say it because I even think of my own heart, my own pro propensity to want to like think about, well, this is my day, right? This is my week, my month, right? I deserve, I deserve this. I just real talk. I got my, uh, my family got me a, a Father's Day gift and it came and, and I wasn't clear on what I was hoping for with this thing. And, it, and it's not, a, and so we discovered this morning that it wasn't exactly right. And so I need to return it. And honestly, that's consumed my thinking a little bit this morning of like, how do I get my gift to be just right for, you know, and, um, 
And, and, and the hope in the language even that Paul here uses, and I think again I want to thank Chris for his tone, not just his words, but even his, ha- having the strength and the courage to share his emotion of um, one of like, I, I want to encourage you. Right? He said, be you. Be who God's created you to be. Men, just a, a hope we could have as fathers. And I love that Joe took the time, too, to explain it's not just biological fathers or even legal adoptive fathers. It's also fathers in the body of Christ. That the picture in the New Testament is so much more one of, listen, you get to be someone else's father, someone else's brother, someone else's uncle, whether you... You, are, you have children of your own or, or you're in communication with them or not, whatever the case, you have an opportunity with, as a part of the community of the people of God. And, and so there's a tone here that Paul is using, and, and let's hear that this morning. One of cheering on, one of spurring on, and then one of saying, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And he says, right, be united, He says, if there's any of this, he says, participation in the spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. His call here is to be unified, right? We talked about this some last week and every week we will as we walk through Philippians. Okay, hear me right now. Look at me because so much of our understanding of the Christian life is me in a prayer closet or under a shade tree somewhere with a journal and headphones in and it's me and Jesus and that's it. And that's part of it, but we have tipped the scales way too far to think that's the whole thing. Okay, Paul's language here and the exhortation to the Philippian church is this. If you want to be a follower of Jesus who's genuinely living out your faith, if you want to walk as a Christian, okay, to live life as a Christian, it's absolutely necessary that you do so in relationship with other people. You can't do it on an island. You can't do it on your own. You can't be the same mind with others if you're only by yourself all the time. All right? There, and, and this goes on as he talks about what it looks like. He says, be unified. It's similar to Jesus' prayer in John 17, right? His, 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 his high priestly prayer, his last prayer to his father on our behalf when he said, he, he, he said I pray that they would be one as we are one. Okay, Jesus, and we'll see that theme throughout this entire passage, that everything about who Jesus is, he wants to give to us. He wants to restore our humanity through who he is and what he does. And he says, Father, in the same way that we are one, I pray that they will be one. And there's an evangelistic, purposeful, intentional element to that. He says, and I pray that, that, that the world will know who I am, okay, that the world will see Jesus through our unity, together through our our love and our relationship with each other. So there's this charge of Paul spurring on. And now, again, he goes on there. Let me read in, in in verse three and four where he gets really practical. Okay, so if you're the type that's like, Dave doesn't get that practical. He's all theoretical and more like, you know, this is what you need to embody and feel and be and live. And that's true. All right. I am more about that. I'm more about like, right, like you can't drive a car without the engine. I'm more about let's focus on is the engine tuned. Okay. But there's also you can tell if the engine's tuned by how the car drives. Right. I'm way out of my league, by the way, right now. I don't even know how to put air in the tires. So I don't know how I got on that illustration, but um, that said, this is where you can, you can diagnose, if you will. What does it look like? He says this, do nothing from selfish ambition 
or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, like if you have a Bible with you, or even you can look up on the screen, just look over that for a moment. And even again, as though you're taking a car into the shop, right, into the mechanic, kind of diagnose, right? Oh, does the car veer off the road? Does it shake and, sh- you know, shudder when certain things happen? You know, what, what's going on with it? Like the same idea, kind of self-diagnosis. Is there affection, sympathy, j- joy, is there, is there doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit? Is there humility, counting others more significant than yourself? Is there a propensity, a general lifestyle of looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others? Can very practically now think through this last week. Think through the various relationships you find yourself in. Okay, if you're ma- married, does this kind of... Um, does this kind of description define your marriage? Is there a tendency to look out for number one? Is there a tendency in your relationships with your coworkers to think of, well, how can I get out of this relationship or this dynamic what I want to get, what I deserve, what I think I can get out of this? How do I meet my own needs, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, right? Do, do, is, is there, even, even if it's masked, all right? Come on, somebody, like, We get really creative with this, and we can mask stuff under the guise of self-martyrdom. We can be trying to meet our own needs even through serving someone else, right? We can, and so as we lay ourselves bare under the diagnostic script of Scripture, okay, we can we can acknowledge, man, where is this not the case? In my general posture throughout life, is there humility in counting others more significant than myself? Do I tend to think, how can I meet the needs of others that I also have and trust that somehow God will meet my needs as I lay myself down to, to meet the needs of others? Let me just share. Um, I'm going to share a positive example in a moment. But before I do, this came to mind. I didn't plan on having this illustration for you all, but it came up this. Um, and I did just say y'all because that actually fits in. I was in Nashville for a few days. I have a good friend who's a new dad and is struggling through life as a new dad. And I used to live in Arkansas. Some of you don't even know that about me. I had a straight up Southern accent, everything like that. But the old is gone. The new has come. All right. Um, But I'm in Nashville and I'm out with my friend and we're walking his dog and pushing his child around in a stroller, his newborn baby. And Man, um, let's just say Nashville is trying to come into the new era of people walking and not just being in huge trucks and driving around. And people were not prepared. I experienced it a ton. Not prepared for a walkable, bikeable city at all. And my friend told me this, and I experienced it. Well, long story short, um, we're about to walk across the street. We get the man that says walk, you know, the little picture and the green light and everything. We're looking, and we step out, and this truck comes and, like, cuts us off, and then I'm out in front, and I, like, stop him, right? And um, I don't know if it's just because I'm short, he couldn't see me, but I later learned that's not the case, and I'm like, what are you doing? And then he's, like, he's mad, and he's going off, and then we finally, I'm, like, I'm playing, you know, like, in the middle, like, stopping traffic and having my friend come, and again, he's a new dad, right? So he's, like, he's, like, paralyzed. He'll, he'll get there, don't worry. Those of us who have more kids, we're, like, dude, you're, you don't, it's not always that way, right? But right now, he's, like, every little thing, he's got his kid in a 
bubble, um, basically. But anyway, I'm like, dude, Dan, go, okay? And so he walks across the street, and then the guy rolls down his window and starts, like, shaming me and shaming us. Like, what are you doing? Like, the, the, the street didn't say walk now. I'm like, yeah, now, five minutes later, because we've been dealing with you, and let's just say, um, if you could put the scripture back up there, um, I invited him back to talk about it if he wanted to, and um, I got to admit, uh, humility and counting him more significant than myself was not my general posture, all right? It was like, you want to come back and talk? Like, we can talk about what just happened right now, and I confess that to you, okay, that I'm still in process, and, and, and yes, I cared about my friend. I also kind of cared about people learning how to drive, but, um, and general traffic rules and stuff. But honestly, like my first, my gut foundational emotion is selfishness, is respect, right? Is like, you, no, 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 you don't, you don't look down on me from your big truck and with your window rolled down. I've got all kinds of issues, by the way. So these are all getting triggered. But honestly, like this, this picture, verses one through four, does not define my everyday life. So what does it look like to? Okay, now's the positive example. Um, and my wife's involved in this one, so it makes more sense. We were, um, when we first, we were newlywed, and perhaps this hits home for some of you in here. We were newlywed. We're in a new church. I know we've got, uh, our church is growing. We've got a lot of new people here. Well, we were in a new church, and after a few weeks showing up time and time again, we started to notice, like, feeling kind of insecure and just struggling as we showed up. And there was, like, a small group with a coffee hour, you know, before and donuts and stuff. And we just found ourselves even wanting to show up long later because that time was kind of difficult for us and we found ourselves struggling to make community struggling to feel known and pursued and it, it just each time we would show up it was just more like man why aren't we getting why aren't people coming to us why aren't we getting the community that we want and that we need that's a genuine god-given need and desire and yet over time we started to pray about it and Together, the conviction God really laid on our hearts was something more along the lines, verse 4, of look out for others' interests. Like, what would it look like for us to show up at this church and have the mentality of who's someone else that's hanging out on the fringes that needs conversation, that needs to be asked what their name is, that needs to be pursued? And again, I, I, you heard my other example, right, from last week. This one is like from 12 years ago or more. So you see the negative came before the positive. Like, but it, and I see, though, this lived out in our church. There are people that look through these lenses. And now hear me, genuine needs are valid. And if you constantly feel like you're not being pursued, like you've reached out and you're not being reached out back to, it's not just like, well, just don't be so selfish. Dig down, you know, look... No, like, yes, make those known, communicate those, those very valid, very real needs. But at the same time, this is more as a, as, a, as, a, as a picture of a general posture in life, right? When, when you show up to a church, if you, if you consider where to be a part of a community, what would it look like to first look through the lens of having your own needs met and entrusting those to God as you seek to be used by him to meet the needs of others. What would that look like if we lived that way? What would that look like for if, we, if we parented our kids through that lens? What would it look like, uh-oh, 
if they saw that, didn't just hear us say that, but saw that lived out through us as their parents. If our conversations that we have, if, if they experience one that is not, how do we get all of our needs met? If they saw mom and dad's relationships, if they saw aunt and uncle and grandma and grandpa and mom and family dynamics played out through the lens of self-sacrifice, of how can I meet someone else's needs and not just have my first flinch be having my own needs met? Again, I want to hear and ask you and encourage you to think, what, where is that true? Where does this practical diagnosis show up in your life? And now, hopefully, there's a very weighted pause that if, hopefully, you've been around this church long enough where you acknowledge, if I were to end right now, let's pray, there would be a weight of discouragement. There would be, hopefully, a huge recognition of, I can't do that. <laughs> I fear that that's not the case. That we're so, we're so built up, we're so, um, what is it, we're so shaped by self-helpism, by individualistic, um, uh, pull myself up by my bootstraps, I've got it, I'm going to impress God, I'm going to do everything else. That we hear these kinds of sermons and we don't look through the lens of, God help me, but instead, all right, here we go again. I got a good little, little go get them tiger message. I heard some songs that made me feel better. I've got a little bit of gas in my tank. Now I can go out and live this Christian life like I'm supposed to, like I should. And that's not the message of Scripture. We've seen what it looks like, right, for the car to drive on the, on the road. But hear me right now. When I talk about diagnosing the engine, it's because the rest of this, which Susan read the scripture reading that has got to saturate our lives, verses 5 through 11, hear me right now, is telling us that Jesus is every aspect of the journey. Jesus is the starting point. Jesus is the engine. Jesus is the fuel that goes in the engine. Jesus is the vehicle. Jesus is the, is the road on which we drive. And Jesus is the ultimate and final destination. Amen. So when we long for more practical, tell me what to do, it always needs to be like this, where it's, this is the diagnosis. James says, and all throughout James says, listen, if you're a Christian, if you understand Jesus, then the car will be driving this way. It will look this way, and that's important. But we tend to just focus on that and get away from the fact of saying it's utterly hopeless if it's not all about starting, ending, everywhere in between with Jesus. So you might be asking now, well, what? What is Jesus? <laughs> like the fish on the back of the car in front of me that just flipped me off? The, the cross on the necklace that some people wear? Like the tattoo? The, what is Jesus, right? Well, well, we get a picture, praise God, of the full picture of the gospel right now, verses 5 through 11. I'll just go ahead and read this whole thing, and then we'll connect some dots from there. This, this is called the hymn of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let me just pause there. I was going to just go through it all together, but Susan already did that, but better than me. Have this mind among yourselves. Okay, I'll try. Have this mind. All right, what do you do? Put it on, right? Open your mind up and just consume more information. No. 
Again, the encouraging charge of Paul is, listen, this already is yours. If you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in him, this already is yours. Now live into who you already are. This mind is yours. This mind, everything that you just read before, selflessness, humility, joy, affection, sympathy. If you've put your heart in Christ, if you've trusted in him, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, and the new that has come is this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now live into that. And then he goes on and explains how this mind becomes yours and what it looks like. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. This is real life history, by the way, that is still coming, okay? You're hearing the end of the game before it's been played out, all right? If you were a Toronto Raptors fan, and you, were, you knew that, right, everything, when Clay Thompson was 8 for 12, and I'm a Warriors fan. I was very sad to see all this, by the way. But anyway, so you can love me and console me on this. But anyway, if you knew, and Clay Thompson is on fire, and you knew, oh, no, this is, this is not going well. They're about to come back from being down 3-1. If you already knew the end, you would just be sitting there fine. You'd be eating your popcorn, just chilling, like, okay, I already know he's going to tear his ACL. It'll be fine, right? It'll, um, it's all going to be okay. The Raptors are going to win in the end. Well, this is telling us the end of the story already. And this is meant to shape our lives now. In the end, this will happen. Take it to the bank, cash it in, guaranteed. Okay, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, all to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so what we have right now, hear me right now. Yes, I said a couple of weeks ago, this is the centerpiece for the entire letter of Philippians. Everything is building up to it, and everything is flowing out of it. But hear me, it's also the centerpiece for the entire New Testament. It's also the centerpiece for all of Scripture. And you may be thinking, Dave, you've said that before about other Scriptures. That's true. I have. Okay, so what, what we've heard before, listen, is not we need more information, but all throughout Scripture is we forget what we already know. The Philippian church is being spurred on and encouraged and they're being told, listen, remember what you already know. If you've, I don't have time to connect the dots, but right now, if you have a Bible with you and if you don't, I gave you a chance. I asked you to raise your hand. So next time, actually do it when you get one. But listen, turn back to Genesis chapter three. Put an earmark in that. And at some point, read through Genesis three and then flip ahead and read through Philippians chapter two specifically verses 6 through 11. And what we see in Philippians, in Jesus's life, death, ministry, resurrection, promised return, is the exact opposite of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, what happened was humans were tempted and told, listen, I know God created you to bear his image, to reflect him, to have your purpose and your identity and your relationships all flow from who you are in him. Was that really good enough? Why don't you actually become equal with him? Why don't you aspire to something greater? 
You're not God, but if you eat of this fruit, you'll be just like him. And of course, we took the bait, and we've been living out the consequences ever since. Selfishness, greed, pride, insecurity, anxiety, fear, brokenness from our relationship with God. Well, what did we see here in Philippians chapter 2? Jesus already being God. He already had it. But what did he do with it? He gave it up. Um, Augustine, St. Augustine, famously describes sin as a radical inward curvature. Right? You've heard us use the phrase before of, of being navel gazers, right? Being so focused on me and mine and how I can get my own. Looking through the lens constantly, um, the actual physical lens nowadays more often, right? What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? How do I use, how do I capture this experience in such a way that's going to build up my platform? How do, I, how do I describe this relationship right now with my child in such a way that's going to really um, make me look pretty good? How do, and all that stuff is good, right? Social media, we use it all, we do these things, but it's important for us to recognize the ways, the subtle ways that we insert ourselves, that we repeat the story of Genesis chapter three. And the good news is not end at verse four and keep trying, keep struggling, keep operating out of this broken engine but instead recognize how Jesus has come and done what you and I could never do and would never do if we're honest with ourselves. He's given us a whole new engine. He's, he's done it all together. He's, 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 hear me now, Jesus, though fully God, became fully man so that you and I could be more fully human. Okay, to, to put your faith in Jesus, to trust, to submit, to be humble, to, to think of others more than yourself is to be more fully human. And yet because of sin, it's so counterintuitive. It's so unnatural, isn't it? It's not natural to get yelled at while walking across, while rightly walking across a crosswalk and getting scolded. Everything naturally in me said, come back here and I'll put you in your place. I'll make you respect me or at least try, right? But what did Jesus do? Hey, I deserve right now to be respected. I deserve for you to, in, in his case, to be worshipped as creator God most high. But what did he do? He laid down his rights. He said, not my will, Father, but your will. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And, and, and you've heard us talk about the J curve before, Right? That the Christian life, if you wonder what does it look like to be a Christian, right? We just talked about that in verses 1 through 4. What does it look like to live the Christian life? It looks like the shape of a J, constantly. Okay, and I know it's hot in here. I don't know. We'll ask about the AC. What's going on? I love this. Some people got some fans going. That's good. You can blow on each other. I don't know. But um, sorry, no, don't do that. You might get in trouble. Uh, anyway. Okay, but I want us to get this. I don't just want to end here because I want us to get this. Because listen, what does the Christian life look like? I see a couple of new married couples. Welcome back, by the way. Some great friends. Like we've gotten to officiate some weddings and, 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 and you do marriage counseling. And I see people holding hands that weren't holding hands a few months ago. Like, praise God, he's doing a work. Well, how does this, what do we keep doing? What does this look like? It looks like a J 
All right, let us get this implanted on our, on our minds. That the J is what we see here in Jesus living his life. Jesus, though being fully God, though having all right, all privilege, though deserving everything and needing to give nothing, here, what did he do with that? Did he try to climb higher? Did he try to say, Father, why do you get to be the one that uh, is the first word said in most people's prayers? Like, why do you get to be, you know, no. What did he do with his privilege? He gave it up. He descended he, he constantly lives his life here. Um, Paul Miller, who wrote the book that helps really explain this J-curve idea, it says this, Jesus did the dying and trusted that the Father would do the raising. Jesus descends. And you see that, again, in these verses through every part of how he did his life. Just think about it, right? He constantly deserved his own followers, his own mother, his own brothers, his, all these people that he created constantly disrespected him, constantly challenged him, constantly withheld the respect and honor and worship that he deserved. And what did he do with that? He humbled himself all the more, ultimately to the point of death, and then I love that Paul here says in verse 8, not just death, death on a cross. That's why we constantly have this up here. It's a reminder of the ultimate expression of humility. Naked, shameful, helpless, hopeless, desperate. There's nothing honorable. There's no martyrdom that looks good, right, going down in a, in a blaze of glory. No, this was the worst way. And yet that's the form of humility that Jesus has taken on. Now hear me again as we close. What does this look like practically? It's the fact of this. Jesus did the dying so that you and I could do the living. And what does the living look like? What does the Christian life look like? It looks like living the life of Christ, which is constantly dying to self which is constantly being humble, which is constantly looking through the lens of um, uh, what, not what can I get out of this, but what can I give? How can I live like Christ? How can I live the life of Christ by laying my life down in every moment? And again, as we close here, I'm going to give you some really practical pictures because I know our propensity is, oh, okay, I got it. Be more like Jesus. Try harder, do better. Sorry for this phrase, but I think it's helpful. Should all over ourselves. I should be more like Jesus. I should try harder. I should be more humble. I shouldn't have such a short man's complex and get so agitated by tall men in trucks, right? I shouldn't do this. I should do this. I should do that. Well, that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel looks something like this. Let's walk through this together, right? Verse 1 and 2. Love. Be humble. Have the same mind. And if we're honest with ourselves, we, we followed up with, do this, well, how? I can't. I've tried and tried, and I fail and fail time and time again. I've tried to lay down my rights for my spouse. I've tried to love my neighbor the way I want to be loved, but I just keep striking out because they're really annoying. <laughs> they're really hard to love. Well, what do I do? I can't. The message of the gospel is, yeah, you're right. You can't. And then it's look at verses 6 through 11. You can't do it, but Jesus has done it. 
he already has. Verse two, have the same mind. How? I can't. I'm trying. It's hard to have the same mind. We think differently. We're on different sides of the political aisle. We're different races. We're different socioeconomic backgrounds. How? It's just easier to go somewhere else where everyone's like me. How can I have the same mind with these crazy people? Well, because you already have it. Because Jesus came to do a reconciling work that you and I could never do. So now live into that reconciling work. Live out the same mind that is having the mind of Christ. Well, how? How can I be humble? Well, because look at verse 8. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus did what you and I naturally do not do so that we can do what we have been created to do. To live for God's glory and the good of others. Live with others' interests in mind. Well, Jesus gave up all his interests for you. Now hear me, this is where it gets super practical. What does it look like in your life to say, but God, I just want to be loved. That's a God-given need. He says, I know you want to be loved. You need to be loved. I want you to be loved. It means recognizing, God, you created me to be loved. And he says, yeah, you can love radically and powerfully because you understand that no one else can try harder and do better with verses one through four and ultimately meet the the need for love that you have. And God says, I have provided a love for you that ultimately, foundationally, meets your deepest longing. And, And when you recognize that, when you understand that you are drinking from a well that will not quit giving, you're able to give and to pour out. And then from that, you trust that now God will, God will meet your needs through time with him, through his words, through your relationship with him, and God willing, thankfully, through others who are walking that same journey. Respect. Okay, this is the, I'll just end with this one because it hits so close to home for me. God, I want to be respected. I can't, man, I can't lay down my rights again for the 500th time. My roommate my friends at school, my spouse, my coworkers, they just walk all over me. And what does Jesus say to that? He says, listen, I am God most high who created everything. I deserve all glory and I respect you enough. I love you enough to call you son or daughter that I counted nothing left to be grasped. I hung naked, shamefully on a cross. I was so utterly disrespected because I respect and love you so much. And then from there, we get to experience the resurrection with him, the promise of glory, of joy, of celebration. That As we lay our lives down, we trust that we too will get to be raised with him and that we will join in this chorus of every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord, to glorifying him, that as we trust that he is so fully and finally met every need we will ever have, we are now able to radically, constantly pour out ourselves for others. And so because Jesus has done everything for us, because he has given himself for you and to you, we can now together lay down our rights for one another and with one another for God's glory and the good of others. That's the gospel. Let's pray together. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are so much bigger and smarter and wiser than us. Lord, you have laid down your rights. Lord, you have given your life 
so we can have life. And Lord, we confess that every commercial, every ad, everything in our, every fabric in our very being is saying the life we need is one that we need to grasp, that we need to to reach out for and, 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 and force. But Lord, the life of Christ that you're calling us into is one of constantly giving, of constantly moving toward pain. And Lord, I pray that ultimately we would understand your radical gracious, generous, delightful love for us, your respect for us, your provision for us, that that would empower us and fuel us, Lord, to be able to live the life of Christ that you've called us into. It's in his name we pray. Amen.